0: Section twenty one of Valley of the Moon by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book two, chapter six. The trafficking between Saxon and Mercedes increased. The latter commanded a ready market for all the fine work Saxon could supply, while Saxon was eager and happy in the work. The expected babe and the cut in Billy's wages had caused her to regard the economic phase of existence more seriously than ever. Too little money was being laid away in the bank, and her conscience pricked her as she considered how much she was laying out on the pretty necessities for the household and herself. Also, for the first time in her life, she was spending another's earnings. Since a young girl, she had been used to spending her own, and now, thanks to Mercedes, She was doing it again, and, out of her profits, assaying more expensive and delightful adventures in lingerie. Mercedes suggested, and Saxon carried out, and even bettered, the dainty things of thread and texture. She made ruffled chemises of sheer linen, with her own fine edgings and French embroidery on breast and shoulders. Linen handmade, combination undersuits and nightgowns, fairy and cobwebby, embroidered, trimmed with Irish lace. On Mercedes' instigation, she executed an ambitious and wonderful breakfast cap, for which the old woman returned her twelve dollars after deducting commission. She was happy and busy every waking moment, nor was preparation for the little one neglected. The only ready-made garments she bought were three fine little knit shirts. As for the rest, every bit was made by her own hands. Feather-stitched pinning blankets, a crocheted jacket and cap, knitted mittens, embroidered bonnets, slim little princess slips of sensible length, underskirts on absurd Lilliputian yokes, silk-embroidered white flannel petticoats, stocking, and crocheted boots seemingly to burgeon before her eyes with wriggly pink toes and plump little calves, and last, but not least, many deliciously soft squares of bird's-eye linen. A little later, as a crowning masterpiece, she was guilty of a dress coat of white silk embroidered, and in all the tiny garments, with every stitch, she sewed love. Yet this love so unceasingly sown, she knew when she came to consider and marvel was more of Billy than of the nebulous, ungraspable new bit of life that eluded her fondest attempts at visioning. Huh, was Billy's comment as he went over the mite's wardrobe and came back to center on the little knit shirts. They look more like a real kid than the whole kitten caboodle. Why I can see him in them regular man shirts saxon with a sudden rush of happy unshed tears held one of the little shirts up to his lips he kissed it solemnly his eyes resting on saxon's that's some for the boy he said but a whole lot for you but saxon's money earning was doomed to cease ignominiously and tragically one day to take advantage of a department store bargain sale she crossed the bay to San Francisco. Passing along Sutter Street, her eye was attracted by a display in the small window of a small shop. At first she could not believe it, yet there, in the honored place of the window, was the wonderful breakfast cap for which she had received twelve dollars from Mercedes. It was marked twenty-eight dollars. Saxon went in and interviewed the shopkeeper, an emaciated, shrewd-eyed, and middle-aged woman of foreign extraction. "'Oh, I don't want to buy anything,' Saxon said. "'I make nice things like you have here, and I wanted to know what you pay for them. For that breakfast cap in the window, for instance.' The woman darted a keen glance at Saxon's left hand, noted the innumerable tiny punctures in the ends of the first and second fingers then appraised her clothing and her face. "'Can you do work like that?' Saxon nodded. "'I paid twenty dollars to the woman that made that.' Saxon repressed an almost spasmodic gasp and thought coolly for a space. Mercedes had given her twelve, then Mercedes had pocketed eight, while she, Saxon, had furnished the material and labor. "'Would you please show me other handmade things?' nightgowns, chemises, and such things, and tell me the prices you pay?' "'Can you do such work?' "'Yes. And will you sell to me?' "'Certainly,' Saxon answered. "'That is why I am here.' "'We add only a small amount when we sell,' the woman went on. "'You see, light and rent and such things, as well as a profit, or else we could not be here.' "'It is only fair,' Saxon agreed.' Amongst the beautiful stuff Saxon went over, she found a nightgown and a combination undersuit of her own manufacture. For the former, she had received eight dollars from Mercedes. It was marked eighteen, and the woman had paid fourteen. For the latter, Saxon received six. It was marked fifteen, and the woman had paid eleven. Thank you, Saxon said as she drew on her gloves. I should like to bring you some of my work at those prices, and I shall be glad to buy it, if it is up to mark.' The woman looked at her severely. Mind you, it must be as good as this, and, if it is, I often get special orders, and I'll give you a chance at them." Mercedes was unblushingly candid when Saxon reproached her. "'You told me you took only a commission,' was Saxon's accusation. "'So I did, and so I have. "'But I did all the work, and bought all the materials. "'Yet you actually cleared more out of it than I did. "'You got the lion's share. "'And why shouldn't I, my dear? "'I was the middleman. "'It's the way of the world. "'Tis the middleman that gets the lion's share.' "'It seems to me most unfair,' Saxon reflected, "'more in sadness than anger.' "'That is your quarrel with the world, not with me,' Mercedes rejoined sharply, then immediately softened with one of her quick changes. "'We mustn't quarrel, my dear. "'I like you so much, Lala. "'It is nothing to you who are young and strong, "'with a man young and strong. "'Listen, I am an old woman, "'and old Barry can do little for me. "'He is on his last legs. "'His kidneys are most gone, remember?' "'Tis I must bury him. "'And I do him honor, "'for beside me he'll have his last long sleep. "'A stupid dull old man, "'heavy an ox, tis true, "'but a good old fool "'with no trace of evil in him. "'The plot is bought and paid for. "'The final installment was made up in part "'out of my commission from you. "'Then there are the funeral expenses. "'It must be done nicely.' I have still much to save, and Barry may turn up his toes any day. Saxon sniffed the air carefully, and knew the old woman had been drinking again. Come, my dear, let me show you. Leading Saxon to a large sea-chest in the bedroom, Mercedes lifted the lid. A faint perfume, as of rose petals, floated up. Behold my burial trousseau. Thus I shall wed the dust. Saxon's amazement increased as, article by article, the old woman displayed the airiest, the daintiest, the most delicious and most complete bridal outfits. Mercedes held up an ivory fan. In Venice was given me, my dear. See this comb, turtle shell. Bruce Anstey made it for me the week before he drank his last bottle and scattered his brave, mad brains with a colt's forty-four. This scarf, la-la, a liberty scarf. And all that will be buried with you, Saxon mused. Oh, the extravagance of it. Mercedes laughed. Why not? I shall die as I have lived. It is my pleasure. I go to the dust as a bride. No cold and narrow bed for me. I would it were a couch, covered with the soft things of the East, and pillows, pillows, without end. It would buy you twenty funerals and twenty plots, Saxon protested, shocked by this blasphemy of conventional death. It is downright wicked. "'Twas be as I have lived,' Mercedes said complacently, and it's a fine bride, old Barry, have to come and lie beside him. She closed the lid and sighed. Though I wish it were Bruce Anstey, or any of the pick of my young men to lie with me in the great dark and to crumble with me to the dust that is the real death. She gazed at Saxon with eyes heated by alcohol and at the same time cool with the coolness of content. In the old days the great of the earth were buried with their live slaves with them, but I take my flimsies, my dear. Then you aren't afraid of death in the least? Mercedes shook her head emphatically. "'Death is brave and good and kind. I do not fear death. Tis of men I am afraid when I am dead. So I prepare. They shall not have me when I am dead.' Saxon was puzzled. "'They would not want you, then,' she said. "'Many are wanted,' was the answer. "'Do you know what becomes of the aged poor who have no money for burial?' "'They are not buried. Let me tell you. We stood before great doors. He was a queer man, a professor who ought to have been a pirate, a man who lectured in classrooms when he ought to have been storming walled cities or robbing banks. He was slender like Don Juan. His hands were strong as steel. So was his spirit. And he was mad, a bit mad, as all my young men have been. Come, Mercedes, he said. We will inspect our brethren and become humble and glad that we are not as they. As yet, not yet. And afterwards, tonight, we will dine with a more devilish taste, and we will drink to them in golden wine that will be the more golden for having seen them. Come, Mercedes. He thrust the great doors open, and by the hand led me in. It was a sad company, twenty-four that lay on marble slabs, or sat half erect and propped with many young men bright of eye bright little knives in their hands glanced curious at me from their work they were dead saxon interrupted to gasp they were the pauper dead my dear come mercedes said he there is more to show you that will make us glad we are alive and he took me down down to the vats the salt vats my dear i was not afraid but it was in my mind then, as I looked, how it would be with me when I was dead. And there they were, so many lumps of pork. And the order came, a woman, an old woman, and the man who worked there fished into the vats. The first was a man he drew to sea. Again he fished and stirred. Again a man. He was impatient and grumbled at his luck, and then up through the brine he drew a woman and by the face of her she was old, and he was satisfied. "'It is not true,' Saxon cried out. "'I've seen, my dear, I know, and I tell you, fear not the wrath of God when you are dead. Fear only the salt vats.' And as I stood and looked, and as he who led me there looked at me, and smiled and questioned and bedeviled me with those mad, black, tired scholar eyes of his, I knew that that was no way for my dear clay. Dear it is, my clay to me, dear it has been to others. La-la, the salt vat is no place for my kissed lips and love-lavished body. Mercedes lifted the lid of the chest and gazed fondly at her burial pretties. So I've made my bed, so I shall lie in it. Some old philosopher said, we know we must die. WE DO NOT BELIEVE IT, BUT THE OLD DO BELIEVE, I BELIEVE. MY DEAR, REMEMBER THE SALT VATS, AND DO NOT BE ANGRY WITH ME, BECAUSE MY COMMISSION HAS BEEN HEAVY. TO ESCAPE THE VATS, I WOULD STOP AT NOTHING, STEAL THE WIDOW'S mite, THE ORPHAN'S CRUST, AND PENNIES FROM A DEAD MAN'S EYES. DO YOU BELIEVE IN GOD? SAXON ASKED ABRUPTLY, HOLDING HERSELF TOGETHER DESPITE COLD HORROR. Mercedes dropped the lid and shrugged her shoulders. Who knows, I shall rest well. And punishment, Saxon probed, remembering the unthinkable tale of the other's life. Impossible, my dear. As some old poet said, God's a good fellow. Sometime I shall talk to you about God. Never be afraid of him. Be afraid only of the salt vats and the things men may do with your pretty flesh After you are dead. End of section twenty one.